Thanks again to everyone supporting us on the podcast through Patreon. Patreon allows our listeners an opportunity to contribute to the podcast and allow us to bring you great guests and content each week. Thank you to all of our patrons and a special shout out to Jonathan Lambert for being our largest donor. You too can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four M-I-L. This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code mentors the number four MIL at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. Mentors for Military Podcast. This is going to be an interesting topic for all of us because I don't think our listeners really, we've ever talked on this topic at all around, you know, MILSIM and um, simulation and the whole bit. And I know it's big in the community. I know that there are a lot of people who listen to this show who are actually in that because, you know, if I go to their Instagram pages, you see it a lot. You know, it's even sure. even those in foreign countries, uh, I've seen a lot of their pages where they're doing a lot of simulation stuff. So um, let's let's dive a little bit of back into how you guys met and your background and, and all of that. OK, sure. Um, I, so I met Paul because some guys who were Paul subordinates when he was in Third Ranger Battalion worked at my Milsom company and they basically had a reunion at one of my games a couple years ago. And they were like, Harold, hey, squad leaders coming. And I was like, okay. And then Paul came out and played in the game with these dudes and loaned me his uh, his quad so I could do what we call white cell operations, which is basically just like a range safety, you know, range mm-hmm. control the exercise or whatever. Um, and that's how I met Paul. And it was rainy, and we basically just hung out on a muddy hill near a weird campsite in rural Virginia for two days and watched a bunch of people play war with each other. And, you know, mostly did the work of like, okay, this guy sprained his ankle, but really he's just fat. So we'll drive the quad up there. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, because it's like these people, there's people trying to have this, this kind of infantry FTX experience who, you know, it could just be anybody. It could be, you know, somebody who's dangerously overweight with a lot of health conditions who, I mean, we had somebody with cerebral palsy attempt at once. Oh, wow. Thankfully, his mom hung out in the parking lot because he didn't make it, but like. 30 minutes into it, you know, well, we thought it wasn't for him in the parking lot, but he did pay his money. So you got to let him try. Right. Yeah. Most you know, and, I mean, there was a family member there that was like, Hey, if he dies trying, we won't sue you. So we were like, sure. Okay. I mean, you know, I got a cousin with cerebral palsy. Like, yeah, I've tried to make him do sports. He doesn't like it, but it's, he didn't die, you know? So, um, <laughs> I'm assuming that you have them sign waivers anyway, right? From a legal standpoint? Yeah, everybody's waiver, but that doesn't mean you're not getting sued. Oh, that's true. Everybody can sue. 
today's society, yeah, we we tend to do that anyway, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's just trying to think about litigation. I don't think that necessarily means that people are going to sue. Uh, maybe as much as people think. I mean, that's a separate topic. If if you really wanted to talk about like small business ownership as a just general advice, I, I could talk about that as well, especially in a high liability kind of event business. But that's how I met Paul. This guy I know, Jim Hansen. And this guy I know, Pat Bacon, and this guy I know, Philip Tilly, who were all in 3rd Battalion. Was this Mortars? Mortars. Yeah, yep. Battalion Mortars. So I was in 2nd Ranger Battalion. I was in C Company, and then I I, I was in the line there, and then I finished in uh, Carl, the Carl Gustav section, which is kind of like a weapons section. And so I feel like I, I feel like I forget, and sometimes I think I was in 3rd Bat Mortars, from like 2008 to 2014 because I know all these dudes in this group. And like, right. I went to a family reunion with Paul just this last summer at, at his house. It was really fun. I was his plus one. I've been Patrick Bacon's plus one at a family new year's party in Key West. <laughs> and I just like Jim Hansen and I just like constantly are sleeping on each other's couches. Um, so oddly enough, like I don't know these guys. We were in different Ranger battalions years apart. Uh, and th- and that's how I know them. That's that has a lot to do with just the community, though, right, Paul? Um, I think it's it's partly to do with the community. You know, the the vermin platoon from Third Battalion. We all <laughs> we had to stick together because we were we are the outcasts and the underdogs. But so I think that that speaks more to to Josh than it does to the community. To be honest, that's one of the things I noticed that that event that I went to reluctantly, I might add, because I always thought you know it's a bunch of nerds playing BBs, but uh, what I saw was was quite different, and you know, Josh is a polarizing figure. I think people are, are attracted to his charisma. They're attracted to the quality of the events that he gives or that he puts on, and he has a really great cadre of very knowledgeable people from special operations and conventional side. So, these people that are trying to do impressions and immersions into that sort of world for a weekend, they really get the real deal. And you know, Josh, all of his cadre, from what I've learned are very close to Josh and you know, he takes very good care of them and they work very hard for him. And I thought this is pretty neat, you know, as I'm going through the event and then I got to know some of the players that were non-military and I realized these guys are helping each other with their schoolwork outside of the events. They're helping each other do PT for the events and prep their kits so that they look right. And if you walk through, it looks like, you know, you walk through one of these games, you walk into a patrol base and it looks right. I mean, it definitely looks wrong if you've been in the military, but you have that moment when you walk into a patrol base at a Milsom event where, as a former military member, you're like, wait, this, this is pretty good. Like, these guys are doing all the things for the most part. You know, they've got their facial hair and their sideburns and, the, and a, you know, some flair on their kit to individualize their experience. But it's impressive, and I think that's that's because of Josh. I think it's he's the driving force behind that, and that's probably why he's, stayed in contact with uh with the mortars and, and become sort of our unofficial third battalion mortarman i appreciate that proud to be an unofficial vermin platoon <laughs> member well what got you into this in the first place josh i mean how'd you start this whole thing after you came out of the military well let's go even further oh back. no it starts before that okay so let's start off yeah in the very beginning yeah. was it something that so you were preface, doing? i'll preface this bit about my background with um a common question I get a lot from not just other veterans, but everybody is like, how do you make something that you're so passionate about as a career, right? Yeah. And so in this little background, I'll explain to you how I never made any money doing this 
forever because I've been doing it since I was six years old. So if you break it down, I've lost money in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, I started playing war when I was like six years old. I got obsessed with the American Revolution. I got all the kids in the neighborhood to wear the correct uniforms, and we had battles. Like, you know, we reenacted when I was six, and then my mom took me to a reenactment when I was seven, <clears throat> and I got adopted by this group of reenactors. Because, like, normally kids only do that when their parents do it, and they have to. But I was, like, super about bringing people water buckets on the battlefield and shit, you know? And I, I knew when I was, like, I was, like, when the, when I'm 12, they're going to let me have a gun. I get to have a musket. Yeah. Oh, boy. Did it happen? Because my parents weren't going to let me have a gun. They listened to NPR. So, like, you know, <laughs> it's not happening. I listened to NPR, but, like, I knew they weren't going to let me have one. Um and that's how I started. And I've been a reenactor most of my life, except for probably my last couple of years of high school and like when I was in the military. And when I got out of the military, um, I continue to reenact. I still do it today as a site, you know, as a hobby. Um, but when I got out of the military, some guy who primarily makes his living in sales, but did this, did this thing called Recondo School. It was like a Vietnam-era themed mini ranger school event. And Hmm. he marketed it in the paintball community initially, but by the time I had met him, he was doing it in Airsoft because Airsoft basically has replaced paintball. What Mm -hmm. paintball was in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, Airsoft has surpassed that and, of course, grown with the economy at large. So Maybe you can help. Um, I don't want to stop you too much here, but, I mean, maybe it would help to explain the difference there because for guys like me. Between paintball and Airsoft? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, the main difference as between paintball and airsoft is like a gaming tool or a training tool. You can use those words interchangeably, and I do. Um, I prefer not to say training because it invites a lot of weird shit with it. You know, that I don't, I, I want to be doing entertainment. I don't necessarily want to, you know, I travel to Mexico and do games. I travel across South America and do games. I don't want anyone to think I'm training. This is purely for entertainment. Um, that said, there's always value in gaming. Um, so the difference is paintball, most people know paintball, right? It runs on a high pressure or a CO2 air system. Typically, the guns look more like markers. They feed from a hopper in the top. There's a competitive standardized style of play. It's basically like a sport. It's set up to be a sport. You are marked with paint because the assumption is you're going to cheat because mm-hmm. it's a sport. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the assumption is you will not call your hits. Uh I mean, maybe you can back me up on this, Paul. I was trained not to call my hits with Sims in the military. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we all were. <laughs> right, unless an OC told you, right. hey, man, you're dead. You just kept going on with the exercise, right? right. Absolutely, yeah. Right, so <laughs> so anyway, so that's the for me, the difference between uh, you know a paintball gun and an airsoft gun is paintball gun is sporting equipment, and an airsoft gun is a toy for gaming. That, at least that's what I tell the customs officials. But I mean, it's also true. It's true. Like, that's my intent, you know, Um, and that's what they are. They're toys. So people like airsoft guns primarily because a lot of them can be powered very reliably on an electric battery that will last you for 20 plus hours, potentially. Um, They are one to one replicas of real firearms with similar functions. You can use high pressure air or gas to get even more realistic function. You know, you can replicate everything from pistols all the way up to like medium machine guns and things like that. Um, they have a longer range. They don't cause as much of a mess. There's less pain associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's way cheaper to do. And those are the main differences between the two. Okay. And so when I got out of Ranger Regiment in 2005, 
you know, paint or airsoft was just starting to get very popular in the Pacific Northwest, which is where I lived. I was in 2nd Battalion, which is near Fort Lewis, or sorry, at Fort Lewis, which is now Joint Base Lewis-McCord or something, near Tacoma, Washington. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got out, and there was this guy that lived up there in, in Bellevue. His name's John Robeson. He's worked primarily in auto sales and auto sales training most of his life. But, you know, he, as a side gig, ran this thing called the Recondo School, which was, you know, basically a, a little bit of a miniature ranger school kind of targeted to airsoft that was a Vietnam reenactment game. And I got involved with that, and I worked for him and then another guy at various aerosol businesses for years, mostly doing historical events that were super hardcore because I didn't feel comfortable wearing modern kit and, like, playing these games, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I Mm -hmm. love playing these games. Like, War is an awesome fucking game. As a reality, mixed. But as a game, love it every time. Uh, And that's how I got into it. And basically, I worked for these other people for a long time. Uh, when I got out of the military, I initially intended to return to the military. I went to college for four years on a ROTC scholarship. Somehow managed to get kicked out of the college in the last three weeks. Like, because of poor grades. Like, I didn't do anything. Okay, okay, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. I just I just got stoned and got drunk and had sex with girls that were younger than me, like, the whole time. And then at the end, like, they'd already picked my branch and shit. And, and everybody was like, everybody's making fun of me. Like, you'll never be infantry. You'll never be infantry. Because everybody knew my grades were super bad. Uh Sure enough, I got picked as infantry, and then they're like, oh, dog, you're not graduated. I'm like, oh, for what? They're like, the university's kicking you out. I'm like, oh, for what? For what? I haven't done anything in a while. And they're like, no, it's your grades. I'm like, oh, well, what is it? What is it like? What do I got, a D or something? They're like, dude, you have a .07. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, So thanks for that GI Bill. That was cool. Um that really helped me decompress from my five deployments in Ranger Regiment and my divorce and getting out of the military all at like age 24. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Uh, it was cool. I had this safety net for four years. Everything was just still paid for. So I didn't have to figure it out. And after that, uh, I briefly worked in federal law enforcement cause I didn't know what the fuck to do with myself and I had to make money. And I realized that made me super miserable cause I just hated everybody I worked with. It was 90% people that like, so I have a mixed opinion of veterans in the outside world. Like unless you served with somebody or you know somebody, like you got to treat veterans the same way you would anybody else. Mm -hmm. Because I know I've worked with some people who are phenomenal, like Jim Hansen, like Pat Bacon, you know what I mean? Who've introduced me to guys like Paul, but like I've met some guys that weren't so great, that have worked for me, that have not been helpful, that have been mad at me later, actively animus trying to hurt my business literally that insane jeez right and that's all within the ranger community so yeah uh yeah, yeah we're not all created equal that's for sure oh we, we talk about how much we eat our own all the time so it happens yeah. while we're in service as much as it is when we're out i want to go back though because when you were talking about um you know setting this whole thing up and everything what were you doing it like on a, a shoestring budget and the whole thing or yeah so when i started this thing um Okay, so I had that terribly boring federal job, and then I quit, quit the job, took my savings, moved into a warehouse in Tacoma where I started working at an airsoft arena for a guy I had previously worked for. Um, and while I was living in the arena that didn't have a shower uh, <laughs> for a couple of years, actually. Oh, my God. Well, I got super into airsoft. 
Yeah. And I got really good at ref and airsoft. You know, it's like a skate park, right? Right, right. And so I just became that life in my late 20s. Just completely yeah. lived there. Year and a half, I lived in that airsoft or Was there like a KOA campground nearby? You used their showers or what the hell? Uh, no, I'd, I'd go over to dudes, like other dudes who worked at like the skate park airsoft shop. I'd go over to their houses and shit during the week and shower and like, you know, it was fine. Like I had everything I needed there. Right. You know, it was great. So it wasn't it was like awesome. your friend smelled you before you came to the door type of thing, you know? So that's good. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. It wasn't great. But <laughs> during that time, I kind of, I got super into the hobby. Right. And that's, and that's how I got, uh, then I, at some point I realized I was working for this dude who, you know, was terrible and I was wasting my time yeah. and that I needed to stop being a number two for somebody and just go be number one. And a lot of that was me just figuring out that dude like gambled away the payroll. And when I saw that, I was like, holy shit. You know, I'm sitting there with him like at the casino. He's like, come on, dude, I'll buy you lunch. I just go there for the lunch. You know, it's like payday, right? And, right. And I haven't been paid yet because he's just paying everyone in cash, right? Well, because that's how a lot of – I mean there's a few really legit airsoft businesses out there. Right. But honestly, most of your fields are operating on, you know, such a low level that it's like – but this, the, you know, I'm. This is the exception, right? This guy was not not particularly good, and at that point, I actually started Milsom West as a subsidiary of this dude's business to make more money in the summers, because going indoors to play in Washington in the summers is less inviting than going out outside. Mm. And there's plenty of groups that meet up on public land in Washington to play for free, so it's like you have to have a really good game to incentivize people to pay money to come. And the original concept was not quite as hardcore of an experience as it is today. It was like a really mild game kind of themed towards airsoft players. Mm -hmm. But at some point in the first year of it, which would have been 2011, we just decided, well, first of all, the, the partnership with that guy did not last more than one event. The event was successful. There was money in it. He, you know, he basically tried to, take over control of the project and everybody who was involved in it was just like, no, nah, man, never mind. We'll just go do it by ourselves. So I had some side jobs for a couple of years, but I continued to work that project. The cast of guys who were managing the business changed. So like we started with zero. The first event, we had zero in the bank. Um, we just made all the money on ticket sales. And basically in the first year, we just like started putting together a really good product that people would pay for three times a year in the summers in Washington to come out and do we did that for a couple of years. We got enough money to book a really nice venue that drew people in from somewhere else. Um, and probably in the third year we had it, so 2014, we took it national. Like we had just been doing this three events in the summers in between our day jobs in Washington for two years. And at this point, there were only three partners left. So it started with six, lost a bunch of guys. We gained a guy named Eric Hickley, who's a dude you should have on because he's really, really good. Um, he taught me how to run my business. Hmm. So this guy, Eric Hickley, is on the board of directors. He's got a big shop corporate job at Microsoft. He's spending a lot of time showing us how to communicate with venues in a professional way, you know, how, how to run the front end of the business so that it doesn't look like we're a bunch of kids in a garage, you great, know, great which advice. is what we were, basically. Yeah. Um, and he was with us for about a year. He decided to step away from it because we really, me and the other partner were like realizing that this was an opportunity for us to actually have a job that wasn't some slaving away working for somebody else bullshit that mm -hmm. we didn't like. And uh, 
we said, fuck it, let's just take it on a tour. Eric didn't want to do that. So he, he still works with us, but he like stepped away from the management and that was like 2014. So that was five years ago. Um, yeah, I haven't had another job in five years and I've opened other businesses now using the same model. Um, as far as like prov- providing experience gaming type shit. Well, you started off slow and steady, which is always good. Uh, you didn't try to Super slow. I mean, if you think about the fact that I yeah. got into it in 2006. Yeah. And yeah. then like never re- I mean, I started getting paid in 2011 and then in 2014 like this became my full-time gig. Yeah. Well, and and you were doing more of a cash flow management type of operation, so it was really easy to kind of manage. Uh, taking it slow yes. and steady, understanding your marketplace, what it was that they were interested in, building, um, you know, good market and advertising through word of mouth and everything else, and being able to then take it off and expand it. I think the challenge, not trying to take this too far in a business uh, conversation, but the challenge is uh, for a lot of people that are starting up is they want to hurry up and get from zero to a hundred as fast as they can. And they don't realize that's the best way to do it. You got to do it where it's scalable, uh, slow and steady, understand your market, the demographics, the culture, everything. And that's that sounds like a lot of what you did. Unfortunately, it didn't earn you probably a whole lot of money in the very beginning. No. But then it pays dividends, you know, later on and stuff. By the end. But I mean, if you think about it, if I mean, I started promoting events as an amateur in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you add it all up, it's like I've only really been a pro for five years. So, right. It's not, you know, but it's like I was doing other things during that time. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's like, I, I think there's something to be said for taking the time creatively to make your product really good. Something that you're excited about. Yeah. Quality over uh, quantity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll help. And there's something to be said for making different kinds of products that you're not necessarily in love with too. Like that's, that's something I've started doing in the last couple of years. Um, and sometimes you find you fall in love with those projects too, you know, like you find some aspect of it that you think is really interesting, uh, maybe even though it's not specifically your thing. So, yeah, I would say I mostly got into this on accident, you know, like it was just a game that I played my whole life. And then at some point, it was my brother actually who told me to not quit in 2014. Mm-hmm. I was actually working at my brother's company. So I'd moved from Seattle where it started was living with my brother here in Chicago, working at his company as like a warehouse dude. And his my boss was complaining to my brother that I like wasn't doing shit on the dock. And my brother was like, hey man, why don't you just quit and like do that other thing full time? Yeah. He was totally right. So yeah. yeah, I'll I'll second that. I haven't seen you in action and watch your success from I think we I went to a game in 2016. Yeah. Was when we were out in Virginia, and watching you grow since then, like you, you definitely seem like you're on the right track, and you're sort of a duck in water when you're doing it. I mean, it's clear that you enjoy it. It's clear that you understand it on a level that most people don't, um, and and that you're you're operating on a higher level to deliver a quality product that you also enjoy. Well, how how many people get a chance to, you know, I mean, it's one thing to be able to find your passion. A lot of people struggle with trying to find that. And it's another thing to be able to take your passion and turn it into an income. Most people don't get a chance to do that. And then not only that, but maybe it's an income that then supports you as your job. So now you're doing something you enjoy all the time and you're making money and you're, you know, it's most people don't get that, uh, that kind of holy grail, that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, 
so there's another part of my background that's relevant to this uh, that doesn't really have anything to do with the military, but my my parents are like theater people. Um, they ran a theater themselves that still exists today. Like they, there's a long story to that business, but they, they revived it. It had been going since the 60s. They used to work there in the 60s. They revived it in the 90s, ran it through the early 2000s. People who used to work for them run it now. Um so my mom was a producer already, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, she basically hired the talent, put together the marketing package, picked the season, picked the plays, you know, she was the one who had to make all the relationships with all the people, the donors, right? Because I mean, obviously, it, it, it's a nonprofit, it's not a for profit business, their business. Um, but so I just seen them do all that, right? My dad is basically a production manager. So just watching all of that. Most of my family works in that business. I'm the only one. I, and you could say I do. I was going to say it's, it's pretty close. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Of, yeah. It's. I yeah. mean, it's not far off. Like, it's a lot right. of talent management. It's a lot of, like, you're giving people a particular experience. Yeah. Um, so that combined with my military experience is what really helped me, like, do this thing. And since I've always enjoyed wargaming, like, it's pretty easy. How would you end up teaming so what, with – I'm sorry. Go ahead, Paul. I was going to say – what do you think helps you more when you're putting on a an airsoft event? Your theater background and upbringing, or your military background and upbringing? I mean, obviously one is essential. Yeah, I mean, in the in the in my gig as like an owner, right, of the company, like as a stakeholder in the company, my theater background, 100, percent because most of the work that I'm doing as a stakeholder is primarily like what we would consider range safety, you know, and I'd say is like the production manager for the show or something, right? The stage manager in charge of the whole thing or whatever, right? That's primarily what, what I'm doing. But it's necessary for me to be able to teach people patrolling techniques in real time as a cadre member at least a couple times a year. A, so that the cadre that work for me understand the standard of work that I want. And B, to get good faith and rapport with my client base. Um, also as a personal thing, like, this last two years, I've expanded events into South and Central America. And so I've just made a project of cadre and myself because the challenge of learning to do it in Spanish, you know, learning to teach like basic infantry techniques in this FTX setting in Spanish is like pretty fun, actually. So, uh, yeah, that's a, the move. I don't know. What a, what a great experience, man. It's almost like you're not to be a not to insult anybody in any way, but you're like a fake ass green beret going down and training people. In yes, I am. Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm like the airsoft it's CIA. <laughs> it's, it's freaking great, man. I love it. It's cool. I feel that way to be honest. It's like, you know, you, it's bizarre to have a brand that's in such a niche. So I, there's another thing I, you know, that's definitely worth pointing out for people who have questions about like entrepreneurship and shit like that. Uh, I've always felt like, you know, there's so many eclectic niche things that people are into. uh, And the trick is just to kind of find that and identify like some product you can deliver to that group that you're already a part of, you know. Um, What a lot of business people would tell you, though, is that even though you think you have a new idea, there's really no new ideas. You're just taking somebody else's and modifying that in some way. You know, that's what we all do, although we think it may be a new idea. Um, But well, you can't even say what I'm doing is new. Yeah. Like I, I got into this because people hired me to work their small niche events. Right. 
And then as a result of that, they paid me to go to bigger, what would, you would call national or international events, like the kind of stuff I run today. Well, and so you expanded on that too, right? Because the way you're probably providing the types of military simulation that may be very different than your average person who never spent any time in the military, especially in special operations, right? Yeah, it's very, it's definitely very different. I mean, it's a different product. So obviously there, this is not an industry I created. Right. So, and, and I use the term industry very lightly, but this is not a genre of event that I created. Um, I don't know who created Milson. I hate to credit this guy because I don't particularly like him, but there's this guy named John Liu who probably started the market for three-day airsoft military simulation events in the United States, and he did that in 2002 in California. And he eventually moved his events all over the country, and he's still working today. You know, he's not really selling out shows anymore, but, you know, he he's probably still making his full living organizing events for his aging boomer client base, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, and there's maybe four other promoters that promote across the U S that call them, you know, that brand their events as military simulation events or Milson events. So I'm just curious out of those though, how many of those have a soft background? Uh, really just me. Yeah. That's really great. Me. I mean, I mean or at what, I mean, or where at like the 500 customer threshold or something, I don't know what our ticket sold threshold is, but let's say 500, right? Okay. You got to sell at least over 500 or something, right. To even count. No, there's nobody over that. Yeah. Nobody who sells more than 500 tickets in this business a year has the same background as me. You know, all of this is in the genre of airsoft event. And a lot of, so I have another brand uh, that runs kind of an opposite style of event within the airsoft space. Uh, it uses a smartphone app to run games the way you play most shooter games like Battlefield or Call of Duty. It sets up like GPS objective capturing. Um, and point scoring using your phones as also like a blue force tracker. But the format of these games is different. It's three days, but the gameplay is really casual. Like, you know, the schedule's already put out. You know exactly how long each round is going to be, when the lunch break is, how many points in each round, you know, that kind of thing, right? Uh, people are encouraged to wear like bright colors to identify which team they're on and that sort of thing. Um, so it's more marketed towards what I would call casual play. But I've had customers come to those events that have given me feedback where they said, well, I just didn't think it was very like Milsim. And I'm like, OK, then you should go to my other events and like get fucking rained on and suck ass for three days and then pay me. You know, it's I like get, and the it. funny thing is those guys will not go to Milsim West events and suck ass for three days. Yeah. They'll just talk shit about it at my Desert Fox Airsoft events. Do you know what I mean? Just to be like, yeah, we're tougher than those 12-year-olds, okay? It's like, uh, I'm not trying to make too much fun of the client because I do love them. But like, um, man, those guys slept in the rain. They sleep in the mud. They got the wet sleeping bags. They got The the event Paul went to was a very rainy event, and I love rainy events. Yeah, They're my favorite. I was going to ask you, Paul, to talk about how real this was. I mean, you know, and I mean, I had my rucksack and I was in the woods, you know, about I don't know how many miles far enough that I couldn't just get up and go back to the truck. You know, I mean, it. you're out there. You're in the patrol base. You're sleeping. I slept in a puddle in my crappy little sleeping bag. I mean, it was very equivalent to a, to a field experience. You know, it's obviously more relaxed. Yeah, it's way more relaxed. So you're you're not, you don't have as much light and noise discipline. You sort of have definitely to not. <laughs> yeah, 
that you're not simulating combat for the purpose of making somebody immune to the stresses of combat. So, so that was kind of good. But I mean, these guys were out there. I didn't see anybody quit, you know, and it rained all three days, I think. Actually, a lot of people quit at that game, just not <laughs> your group, because you were in Jim's group, right? Yep, I was with Jim Hansen. And okay, so... what really struck me was that, like, all these guys showed up, they had a packing list, and that was put out by, by Jim and, and his, uh, his other cadre members. So you've got a ranger packing list, and you're expected to adhere, it, adhere to it, you know, as closely as, as uh, possible. Well, there's a packing list just to get into the event. But then Jim Hansen's a vermin, so, like, his packing list is, like, this is, like, if you want to be in the gym platoon, you have to have all this extra shit. Yep. And they did it. They were into it. They were, I was, I was just surprised. I've, I've never seen a, a civilian sector recreational activity where people are, are willing to do that, where they're willing to prepare for months. And also, and I, I got to know some of the guys afterwards, and I got into some of their groups, some of their airsoft groups, because I wanted to stay in contact. And you know, they they were talking about the event. And they're like, you know, this guy, they, they'd get on one guy, be like, hey man, you said you were doing PT, you showed up to the event, you you weren't doing PT, you know, like we'll help you out with the PT program, or you know, we'll help you to be accountable. That's what struck me the most is that this is this is these millennial kids that everybody gives such a hard time. You know, they're young and they don't know anything because they went to college. But they're out there doing this, you know, and it's really the real community. And that's just, it's so entertaining to me and really uh, encouraging, you know. Yeah, that's a, so I was explaining this to my dad because part, so part of the Milsom West program that's not necessarily explicit, um, the reason that it's sustainable as a business is because there are these club-styled teams that exist on both. So the general scenario in Milsom West, it's a 40-hour game. There's no breaks. There's uh, weighted logistics that you need for respawn, and all ammunition is issued. Mm -hmm. So you have to think strategically about grabbing terrain and roads and things like that so you can move around poundage of supplies. And leadership has real punch versus, like, some other airsoft game where people just bring whatever they want ammo wise, right? Because you're being issued the ammo from the chain of command. So if you just go on your own fucking program and do whatever, Paul is as your, you know, immediate like first line cadre member is going to be like, Haha, no, you don't get any more ammo. Like go look at the back. Well, what happens if they come up on us? Yell really loud. <laughs> like we're not giving you any more ammo dummies. <laughs> You know, like, right. And then people start to comply because they realize I'm stuck in this game for another 35 hours, right? I just pissed off everyone on my team. And now I'm watching the rear of the formation with no ammo with my friends that I drove here with. This is good stuff. This is actually teaching teamwork. Um, so there's these club teams. Yeah. And the basis of it was like this club team called the Rushing Russians, which is my club team. That I started, and it is exactly what it sounds like. I started it with a guy who's now uh, is now in an SF group, and uh, some of the leadership are guys who were Milson West clients like seven, eight years ago, that then quit their corporate jobs. One of them in particular, who was actually cadreing that game while he was in the Q course. Oh wow! He was a cadre on the militia side. So this guy, I live in Chicago now, and it's a bummer because he moved when I moved here. He left to go enlist in the army at like 28 and go to the Q course. 
Right. And these are the people that I get back as cadre. So it actually is inspired. There's actually a lot of people who have come to it that are have been low-key inspired to join and serve in some capacity, but also a high percentage of them who go for special operations or highly competitive jobs. Yeah. There are guys who work for me as cadre that came to my events post-2006, pre-2011, that have joined Ranger Regiment, went and served in C Company 275, fought on objectives with guys that were privates with me, and then are out and come in cadre events with me. Wow. So, but it's just, I mean, like, I... I got um, I got sucks most dick award in Ranger School. I got the enlisted popularity award. Paul, you know what I'm talking about when you like get to there's that one block where they're like, who do you think should be the honor grad? That was me because yep. <laughs> I would trade people like my food all the time as like a technique. You know, like if I needed your help, I'd be like, look, Paul, can you just be like, my, can you just like be my alpha team leader for this graded portion? I will give you. I have this packet of vegetable crackers. It is 185 calories. What do you say? Yep. Because if I can't do it on charisma, I can do it with the calories. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that's awesome. Well, and and you guys uh, sounds like are passing on some good information that turn these people, you know, into again. Going that's the into idea. That's the idea. So I mean, there's a bunch of clicks like that. Yeah. Within it, and that's uh, yeah, that's shockingly, I have one Ranger Regiment tattoo. I have three tattoos for this club team that continues today. Like there's gotta be, I just did an interview with some Chilean guys who started their own chapter on Monday and they were asking me how many are there worldwide. And it's over like 15. Wow. Just counting. And I actually, when I go on vacations, we'll go on like hikes and backpacking trips in all these different cities like Denver or Los Angeles or wherever with this crew. And so Jim Hansen has his own crew. You know, like all these cadre have their own teams and that motivates players to come back. Oh, I'm in the Polish platoon with this guy, you know, and this is my guy. Or I'm in the gym crazy mayhem platoon and I always got to come back for that. Or I'm on rushing Russians or uh, there's a, there's a Corman cadre who does like Marine theme platoon, you know, and he makes them all wear safety belts and do flutter kicks <laughs> and shit. And like and people and they get motivated and guys hang out together and play airsoft in their local area with their teammates it's a first it's a greek system for airsoft essentially yeah, yeah. and so, that and that drives the business some people are going to be listening to this then they're going to go okay if i wanted to get involved what's the price point what are we talking about so a milsom west ticket is typically between 150 and 200 dollars, depending on the venue what does that get me? um the, does that just get me the three-day venue alone? That's yeah, it. It just means you get in. Okay. We put you on the roster. We give you drinking water. You can all the drinking water that you can drink. Uh, we'll provide all your ammunition for the event. We'll give you a faction patch. You know, you get a patch for your faction, so you you know everybody can at least friendly force ID. Right. Um, and you get a mock tourniquet that you use for, you know, healing yourself basically. Yeah. That's it. So that's fifty bucks a day. I mean, I guess that's not too bad. Um, and then, no, the, yeah, that's that's actually a pretty reasonable. So, I mean, do you have teams then or that are going to from here to South America to compete in that game, uh, or you know, across the well, U.S.? Well, so the thing, the Milsom West deal is not like competitive, strictly speaking, because okay. we never say who won or lost. Yeah, you know, we just give people operations orders. And then each side, basically, after any major engagement, runs their own propaganda, like, ha we totally won. So it's basically like a real war, yeah. right? Because everybody's just – and, I mean, the game has evolved to the point that people are, like, live streaming during operations because they know the other side's watching so they can talk shit. Um, 
so we try and focus on like there's no points or anything. We just kind of give people objectives and let them decide who won. So that's better. I'm kind of curious of the people that you ran into that came, especially from the soft community. But there are people who travel, yes. Okay. Sorry. Um, no worries. Uh, are, Both across the country and across borders. Okay. Do you, do you find um, or have you ever heard people that especially came from the soft community that got engaged in this, that found this in some ways therapeutic or allowed them to decompress? Um, overwhelmingly, no. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Um, what I call casual Milsim games, which is basically every other promoter that is in the genre. Uh, you just go and you're like, this is fucking dumb. This is like a dress up open play, whatever. I didn't need to, you know, like, or yeah. if you go, you're going, you know, it's very rare to see somebody from the SO, from the soft community, like highly engaged in airsoft, first yeah. of all. Right. I'm always suspect. There's a few people, there's a few notable people, but they mostly do it because they probably got paid to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I've never act. I have paid to go to airsoft games simply because like, that's part of my job now. Yeah. But I would not be in this had someone not hired me to be a, a talent at a game initially, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I would probably stick to reenacting because it's a little bit more casual in terms of like, you know, there's no projectiles fired. So it's like, okay, yeah. we all agree we're just doing this for the aesthetic and like not to prove who's a badass. Well, I asked that mainly because one of the things that people get disconnected from when they make the transition is that whole camaraderie, that connection, that um, ability. Sure. Yeah, the ability to be part of something besides themselves, a part of a team. Um, well, I can say that for know. guys who work for me, especially a lot of the cadre yeah, and a lot of other people I see that are veterans, and some of them are special operations veterans. They're just in the minority. They do. It is a really valuable thing, especially in these club teams. You know, I see that a lot. There's a lot of Marine veterans in the Marine theme team. It's called Blue Diamond Group, full of Marine veterans. You know, they use it as a way to motivate each other and keep in shape. You know, because to some degree, I think if you're a veteran, especially people who were in any kind of fighting job, you always kind of think about keeping yourself in quote unquote fighting shape. Sure. So it is a really positive thing for vets in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, people from the SOF community that are super legit, like Paul, that I know, come to it and they're like, man, this fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> why? Like they come to my shit and they give me the compliment that Paul gives me. Yeah, this was so good. I hated it. Yeah. I hated it. It was so good. <laughs> I'm like, perfect. Perfect. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. Like, uh, that's yay, awesome. my poop. Um, <laughs> because that's what I'm trying to sell. You know, my, my most valued customers are the people who are looking for that challenge. Right. Right. Like it's the tough mutter of Milson games. Like, sure, you want to dress up like a seal, but, you know, can you carry all your shit for two days? Right. Or longer. Because even just like doing a one mile ruck march each day for most people is like, whoa, oh, God. And I got to play airsoft. What the fuck? (laughs) And then when you wake people up and you're like, hey, dog, like it's your shift. You got to go get out on security. You know, and they're like, what? Wait, what? When's lunch break? I'm tired. You're like, no, wake up take the machine gun and go to the point of the patrol base and like, and I hate it. Like to be, to be quite frank, when I have to cadre games and I have to wake up and pull security at night. Yeah. Or I'm laying under a tarp, like eating some kind of terrible preserved food. Like I try to not eat MREs cause I hate myself too much, but um, whatever I'm like eating, like some dull pineapple slices under a tarp while it's raining, thinking about when my feet are going to dry. And I'm like, damn dude, you played yourself. Because I remember all the times I was sucking in the military that I was like, never again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's why I think you don't see that many of... I was just curious, just yeah, because you know, yeah. if you've seen so many guys going in, I could certainly see that aspect of it. But then having guys as cadre, I was just wondered about the opposite. Well, yeah. the flip side of it is like my guy, Jim Hansen, right? Mm-hmm. Who used to be Paul's private. I mean, he just finished business school at Southern Methodist University, and he's going to go right into managing a facility for somebody. Okay. You know, like, and he's been working for me all through college as a cadre member. He started his own team, like, click team called Task Force Mayhem. Uh, Those, you know, he's spawned people who have joined the military. He's inspired junior officers to go to ranger school. Jim is so into it, I pay him to, as a celebrity guest at my other games, because he's so well-known in the airsoft community at this point. Because he actually played, he went to what I, he was a, like, he got out of Vermin Platoon and immediately started playing Airsoft at a casual series of events called American Milson. And I actually went to one of their games once and that's where I found him as a cadre. Because I was like, hey, how much are they paying you to work here? And he's like, what do you mean? I pay to go to these things. And I was like... My dude, <laughs> let me make you an offer you cannot refuse. So I've actually found a lot of good cadre who were like customers around the hobby. Sure. Because sometimes people just go to games in their area. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, I don't want to travel for that crazy game. Um, and I picked up a lot of good cadre members that way, where it's just like I find some guy who has this great experience. And some of the better cadre members we have aren't even special operations. You know, some, some of the better cadre members are just guys who are in the national guard truck drivers who just like have a lot of charisma and love playing airsoft. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what's good about this is that you have um, a lot of guys who may end up going into business, or at least there's uh, guys who are thinking entrepreneur wise, right? I mean, we, how many guys yes. we know are veterans that are doing coffee t-shirts or, you know, something cool guy stuff, you know, on the range, you know, teaching. I mean, other if people. anything, the cadre group is kind of like a professional association. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a great reference. Because I can attest to, like, how many millions of dollars in liability you were responsible for for me during Hours of Darkness in a commercial setting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because technically you are. Like, as a cadre member, you're theoretically responsible for, like, safety. Yeah. Well, and and they're kind of managing a budget. You're getting P&L, you know, profit and loss uh, opportunities here. You know, you kind of seen, well, somewhat. I mean, I'm... Well, we've had, I mean, I've had cadre spin... Yes. Yes. I mean, I try and incentivize pay in that way where people realize like if I consistently draw a certain amount of people, I'm going to get paid more than people who do not recruit. Right. So they're learning from you in that way is what I'm saying. Yes. So I, so I, I look at it as an opportunity that are, or something where people would otherwise turn away from and go, man, I'm not getting into that. What I'm saying is any opportunity like this is going to give you real world experience as to how the business community views you either as an asset and a value to their organization or not. And then how you can contribute to that, quite frankly, could be learned something from something as simple as working with you as a cadre member, where you're learning all these pieces of the business through you that sure. can then be applied later on into other settings. That's what I was no, kind of getting to. Yeah. And there's a few guys already who have uh so there's a couple of my buddies who are cadre who have spun off their own night vision rental business. Mm-hmm. And they've expanded it. They started with just my events and they moved it out. And now, you know, just basically any airsoft paintball event that's happening in the U.S., they've got somebody out there renting night vision units to people before and after the game. Um, Obviously, we were just talking about me and Paul's mutual pal, Jim Hansen. You know, he's been working for Milson West for like four or five years now. You know, he gets paid to do other promotional events in airsoft. 
just finished business school and it looks like he's going to start running like a like a hybrid gym airsoft arena type facility for um you know an investor in the business in the dallas area who already runs a business down there you know a, a, a field so yeah he's been able to spin that into something i mean i know actually i can think of a couple other guys from ranger regiment that i've you know given references for for jobs and things like that it, a lot of guys will be in college when they start doing this mm-hmm. um you know, it's definitely – I like to find guys right when they first got out because that's when I got into it. And it really helped me keep like – the further you get from the military experience, the less relevant combat skills seem to be in your head, at right. least in my opinion. Yeah. But those first couple years, it's like you want to hang on to them still really hard. And it's always nice to revisit them, mm-hmm. in my opinion, mm-hmm. and to know that you know how to do that. Um, I, I enjoy it as a – a constant reminder of like what leadership has to be in particular scenarios, especially in adverse terrain, adverse weather, that kind of thing. Like yeah. I said, I love a rain game. Um, have you ever hosted like uh, corporate events where uh, they can create teams and come through a simulation thing for team building? I so I've so that's a common uh, suggestion. Yeah, um, and it's something I thought about initially, but uh, I probably wouldn't make as much money. Yeah. To be honest, it's not as profitable because it's such a specific scenario. Yeah. And a, you know, what I would call a toxically masculine, hyper violent experience yeah. role play, probably not going to fly in the corporate world. Well, I don't know. I mean, they, uh, well, I hear what you're saying. They're probably. And then when, if guys want to be super macho, they'll just like fucking shoot big ass guns to that shit that's two miles away that's, and that's be like, true. oh, my instructor Paul told me I'm basically a ranger sniper. So, you know. <laughs> Up my two hours worth of training. Yeah. Right. If they have a ton of money to spend on their fantasy, they're probably going to want to shoot blanks or do some kind of live fire. Yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to deal with that. Then you're changing your model. Right. And I'm not I honestly don't want to deal with real firearms because it's like, yeah, now we're stepping out of the world of theoretical. Right. You know, I I actually feel like there's a lot of firearms training that's basically entertainment. Mm hmm. Because it's like if you're training civilians on a range and they're wearing plate carriers and helmets and using M4s, it's like. What are, you, what are you guys training for? I mean, I get it, but, like, that's fine. You know, like, First Amendment or whatever. I don't know what that's covered under, but, like, you, you have your hobby. We can have furries or whatever. That's fine. Right. It's just for me personally, I'm like, you gross aesthetic. Like, come on, man. What do you, what do you think? It's going to pop off and you're just going to have, like, a plate carrier and a helmet in your fucking book bag? <laughs> don't worry. Meal Team 6 on the scene. Like, it's not going to work. Hey, man, some of these guys, some of these sheepdogs or would-be sheepdogs they're like that they've got the kevlar book bags i've seen them no i know and they come i mean they come to my games man i mean that's some you know there are clients that so one of the things we do at milson west we let people shoot blanks in addition you can shoot airsoft or blanks or both whatever and i see a lot of people who come and shoot blanks because they just want to like test their loadout you know (laughs) it's not fun (laughs) <laughs> well how can somebody who's listening that may say man i want to get involved in this in some way i want to go out there and compete in it. how are they going to learn more about your organization sure oh you you know you can find us on facebook you can basically google the hobby of milsim mm-hmm. m-i-l-s-i-m the first result will be milsim west that's our brand you can find us at milsimwest.com if you're interested in airsoft you know what you should probably do is just go on facebook and look for like a group in your area you know because there's there's like Facebook groups for basically every region of the country, you know, and different clicks probably. And you can use those to kind of figure out like where the fields are in your area and start playing. 
if you're someone who already has pretty much all the equipment, like a veteran maybe who just got out and you know, you're interested in it because you already know what to do and you don't want to go to casual games, you want to do something that, you know, reminds you a little more of your time in the military, maybe has some training value or just has some entertainment value somewhere where your experience as a veteran is going to be valued probably. Um, then, you know, all you really need to do is get an airsoft gun uh, because you probably already have all the equipment to include eye protection that you would need to go to a Milsom West event. So I would say go to evic.com and buy an airsoft gun. I recommend an automatic electric gun. Those are battery powered. Uh, that's typically your rifle style models. And if you're going to get an AK style, I would recommend an E&L because they are the most robust brand. The internals are not the best, but the externals are quite good, which is good if you're from the military and you're used to just like smashing guns into trees and shit all the time. Um, so you'll want to get an ENLAK because it's full steel. If you have the other team kit, if you're an M4 shooter, um, there's a couple different good M4 brands. I would say Elite Force has some pretty good HK M4 style products like their 416, um, or there's a brand called VFC. Any Evic Custom, like a JMP, is going to be pretty good as well. But go to evic.com. That's E-V-I-K-E.com. That is obviously one of my bigger sponsors for Milsom West and my other project. Um, and that is a good place to pick up airsoft stuff if you want to get into the hobby. A basic AEG with a battery and some ammo, maybe iPro if you need it, really shouldn't cost you much more than three or $400. Um, okay. And that's a pretty easy way to get started. If you're someone who's interested in that hardcore gaming experience, uh, you already know what it is. Maybe you are a veteran, you're an outdoorsman, you've been a reenactor before, you already have the camping and sustainment gear you need for a 40-hour game, milsomwest.com. Josh, appreciate you coming on, man, and sharing not only your background and information, but I think you gave some really good insight into the business community. And then, of course, just the whole gaming and how you can turn your passion into something that makes a profit. So definitely, I, I think there's a lot of great information that people can take away from here. But I wish you nothing but the best uh, and I luck out there. It, yeah, man, I think uh, I think you've got something going on there. And it sounds like the idea of you expanding this and growing this and scaling it in the right way. Um, it, you're going to be successful as you continue going forward because you, you've you've got the right model. I appreciate I also appreciate you that. sharing that model with other people because you know we need more businesses, small businesses out there rather than the big ones. You know, so the mom and pops are are really what made America's backbone. Well, I think it's 50, 50, 50 for me because I like evike dot com <laughs> and that guy's that's a great guy. His name's actually Evic, the guy who owns it, and like that he, his was a small business and now it's. I would say the largest one in the airsoft world, so yeah. to speak. But we definitely need more good business people who are really excited about what they're doing. And so, you know, if you're a veteran who has an idea that you're really excited about and you're just hesitant about starting your own business, maybe you don't, you don't understand the legalities of it, the liability that might be involved, um, how long it could take. You just want to talk to somebody about it. Go ahead and email me, josh at milsonwest.com. Not hard to remember. Um, I'm always happy to talk to people about it because – People like Eric Hickley and John Robeson, the guys who got me into this, were cool enough to take hours, days, years of their time to explain to me, you know, uh, what's involved in starting a business, how to how to be accountable in a civil way, you know, because in the military you know how to be accountable in what I would call a military way, but in the real world, like as we were talking with lawsuits, like you have to learn how to be accountable to that as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something you have to prepare yourself for and make sure that you're taking steps that are both reasonable but also cover your ass. Yeah, I'd talk to anybody about that just because it took me a long time to learn and a lot of mistakes, obviously. 